I'm so riddled with a holiday spirit that the mere mention of stocking fillers sexually arouses me. John Waters. It's that stack of books, the uh, pre-Christmas holiday spirit edition. And yes, a little a little raunch is good. I'm Steve Shearer. That was Robin Lindley, Nancy Pearl. Hi, Steve. And Judy Ostro. Mm-hmm. Katie Sewell. Hello. Betsy Lindley. Hi. It's a small, small and intimate surrounding today around the table at the Bryant Corner Cafe. Chris brought out his beautiful Christmas tree sugar cookies, mm. green with the red and green sprinkles. A whole plate of them. And while Steve, while you and I were up all night reading, um, he was up all night baking cookies for the hungry hordes for half price cookie day on Tuesdays. At That's great. Corner. That's great. Well, I'm I'm going to bake cookies today and tomorrow, so I will uh, I'll be joining him. Oh, I'm baking cookies today with my I'm baking cookies today with my uh, daughter-in-law and grandson. They insist on uh, this is a holiday tradition, so I've got. Vanilla dough and ginger dough ready, so we're going to spend the afternoon making a mess and having a great old time. <laughs> That's the best. That's what we should do. Any cookie baking in the Lindley household? <laughs> We've been sending out Christmas cards, and that turns out to be a big project every year, although a lot smaller group this year than about 20 years ago. Any, any baking at the, the Pearl household? Sadly, sadly, just eating. <laughs> I'm, I am sad to admit that, but um, yeah. But the kind of cookie I want to make, there's a Jewish, what I always call a Jewish biscotti. Um, what is it called? Mandel bread. Oh my gosh, Mandel bread is fabulous. It's a twice baked cookie, and it's it's just wonderful for dunking, wonderful for eating. Oh my gosh. I might go home it, and make it. Are they good? Yeah, they're fabulous. Um, they're, in little, they're in little rectangles, very narrow rectangles. You make the dough, and then you cut them up in strips, and then you bake that, and then you take them out, and you roll them in cinnamon and sugar, and then you put them back in and bake them again. So it's a lot of work, but they're so worth it. Well, Mongol is almonds, isn't it? Yeah. Are they in the dough? They have almond, right. Um, I, this, is, this is a good conversation because I'll tell you, the topic was going to be what books do you want to be reading for next year, and I have been reading food books. <laughs> MFK Fisher, Otto Lenghi, um, and, and I want to even read a lot more food books as well because... I want to become an expert in food. Well, there's a wonderful um, memoir by uh, Kate Moss. Kate, Kate, I think her name is Kate Moss, um, called Cakewalk, one word. And she had a, she, and every chapter ends with a recipe of something. And the browning recipe, I have to say, is worth the price of the book. I mean, and and plus, unlike many memoirs, she had a very happy childhood, and um, I think that's great. But I remember uh, the Betty Crocker cookie book which I wonder if it's still in print. We used it all the time. I don't know if it is still in print. We have, Delia has that yeah. cookie book, from, and it's, 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 it was spiral bound. Yeah. And some of the pages have come out, but that, that's the, 
that's the book we use to make the cookies just because it seems like part of the holiday tradition. Now, have you read Gabriel Hamilton's book, Blood, Bones, and Butter? Oh, well, she's the owner of Prune, that really famous restaurant in New York, and she has a good memoir, too. So that put that on your, put that on your list. So you've given me two already. This is not a cookbook, but it's a, a food writer. You know Ruth Reichel's uh, Garlic and Sapphires? Yes. That's very, very funny about the restaurant scene in New York. Yes, she is great. I, he, I, and there, I read another book she wrote. It wasn't about food. Maybe it was her first novel. I don't remember. Which That's was not terrible. very well received, no. The novel was not, no. But I enjoyed and I like talking to her. She was fun to talk to about that oh, book. I bet she was. Yeah. Uh, all right, you know, so if you're looking for a cookbook, there's a whole there's a shop devoted to cookbooks on Fremont I Avenue. Know. Oh. I love that store. Okay. Matter of fact, I would like to do a show from that store That'd because be oh, I think they, <laughs> they have so many interesting things. Um, I also want to read natural histories and histories next year. And so you look, you already started me out. I know. You gave me a book, The Lost World of the Old Bones, Discoveries in the Ancient old South. Old ones. Old ones, sorry. Oh, <laughs> the old ones. I, I'm having trouble today. Uh, discoveries in the ancient Southwest, David Roberts, um, my old stomping ground, yeah, Southwest. right. When I saw that book, Steve, I thought of you. And, you know, David Roberts um, has written or co-written just a ton of books about climbing and mountaineering and, and um, all that. So, and his books are very, very readable. And I thought, well, you could read that. I have not read it, but you could read his new one and then you could tell me whether it's worth reading. I will. I'm reading Your Inner Fish right now by oh. Neil Shubin. And then I'll, I will go to that. That's fun. Uh, so what was your thinking when you thought about this question? What book do you yeah. want to be reading? Right. Well, my thinking to, to propose, when I proposed that discussion for, for, that, for that stack of books was, you know, this has been a, a year where I felt that I haven't found as many books as I would like, that I've enjoyed, really enjoyed reading. Although I have a list of like 20 that, yes, and a lot of people would say, oh, well, that's plenty. But I, there's just so much I haven't really enjoyed. So I was thinking, like, what, what, what kind of book am I really looking for? And I think at this point I'm still looking for a thriller that I can't put down. I just want something to just take me out of myself and, and just put me in that world of thriller-dumb. So that's what I'm looking for. That would be, a, at this moment in my life, that's what I would really like. Well, I picked up that Peter Temple yeah. author from Australia. Now, what was it called again? <laughs> the Broken Shore. <laughs> and he, I've only just begun, 25 pages in, but he's a remarkable writer. He, I had just finished um, a very short, quick book on Elmore Leonard's The Ten Rules of Writing. It actually was a New Yorker article, and then they, and with illustrations, and then they did a few more, and they turned it into a book. Um, one of the things he writes about is, uh, I'm just going to paraphrase Elmore Leonard, more dialogue, less description. Uh, the writer's in my way. Get the writer out of my way. I want to see what the story is. And that would be Peter Temple. He's a really sharp, concise writer. I could see how you'd be turning the pages with him. Yeah, I, I think so. And plus, he does have this social conscience and makes you, you know, gives you an understanding of Australian politics, the Aboriginal situation there, the fate of the Aboriginals, um, all of that comes out in, in this mystery, which is really a mystery. I mean, there's a murder and 
three Aboriginal boys are accused of doing it, young men are accused of, of the murder, and and then it just, I, I mean, I love the use of fiction to illuminate societal issues. Not, not when it overwhelms the plot, but when it's an into, in, integral to the plot. <laughs> All right, so we'll come back to, uh, we'll come back to that, what thriller you should uh, be giving, getting rather. But Judy, is there a book you want to be reading? Well, a kind I am of book? just waiting eagerly for the third of the Hilary Mantel books on uh, uh, the uh, Wolf Hall series, and I hope it's coming out next year. That's what I'm looking forward to. Otherwise, I just like a really good story, and I, I can't tell you what a particular author or a subject, but I just like a really good story. Now, Nancy, remember when we did that, uh, you had that list? Do you like character? Do you like plot? Do you like setting? Do you like, what was the fourth one? Character, plot, setting? Language. Language. So with that in mind, when she, when Judy said story, what jumped out? Well, I, you know, I know, I know that's what Judy said, but I think that Judy also really wants, I mean, just from knowing Judy, <laughs> As, as, as relatively casually as I do from many, many years of being at the Women's University Club and now here, I think that she's more, I don't think that story, I don't think that what Judy wants, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is just a, a good mystery. Because the fact that you like Wolf Hall, yeah. that you love Wolf Hall, mm -hmm. that's not story. Okay. By the way, I don't know Wolf Hall. I don't know this Wait. writer. <laughs> oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't know Wolf Hall. All right. Hilary Mantel won the Booker Prize for two years in a row with her Wolf Hall and then Bring Up the Bodies. And her central character is uh, Thomas, Cromwell. Thomas Cromwell, who was uh, rose from nothing to become Henry VIII's right-hand man and is known for in history uh, for having closed the monasteries and also... Um, managing the downfall of Anne Boleyn and uh, oh it's a, it's fascinating you know, the Tudor history the way it comes alive I mean I can't say enough in favor of it now here's what I would suggest to you yeah. there's a mystery series yeah. that's set at that same period yeah. Thomas Cromwell does show up as a character in this mystery series is Sansom Yes, have you read those? I have some of them. Yeah, yeah, They're very, well, so very. So I thought uh, the new one is coming. The newest one is coming out in 2015. Mm -hmm. But they're they're one of the few series I think that you have to read in order because each one is set around a different one of Henry's queens. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the last one is Catherine Parr. <coughs> Who's the author? The author is C. C. J. Sansom. C. J. Sansom. S. A. N. S. O. M. Well, the picture you get of Henry's court. It was a very dangerous place to be because that was such a, he was such a volatile man. And he said, off with your head, it was off. <laughs> yeah, he seemed like a very pleasant guy. He was the kind of guy you'd want to base your entire culture on. Um, yeah, you've talked about Sansom before. Am I bo getting boring after all this time? <laughs> the same books. <laughs> but I do throw in new ones here and there. Yeah, no, you're not getting boring. And I haven't read the book, so look. I'm just remembering. What I, I did hear. I did hear a piece of um, literary. I did read a, a little thing from J.K. Rowling, who said that she, when when she had Ron marry Hermione in the Harry Potter books. Oh, you spoiled it. 
I'm sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> Next you'll tell me there's no Santa Claus. Ron marries Hermione. She now feels that they're not going to be happy in their marriage and that she, she foresees in their future um, se several, at least several visits to a marriage counselor. <laughs> is she going to continue the series? Is she going to continue the series? No, oh. no. She's doing a bunch of um, like little short pieces. I understand. I haven't read them, but now she's involved in a thriller series. Well, yeah, I and by J.K. Galbraith, and they're great. I hear it was very good. Yeah, they, they are great if you like thrillers. Yeah. Let them have a chance. I have to read it. What do you uh, what do you want to read in the new year, Katie? Uh, well, there was a major hole as far as my plot-driven series went when um, Henning Mankell decided to get rid of Wallander at the in the end of his last book. Um, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> that series is over. Uh, but so that's been a big hole. But really, what I'm looking for is that that book that I had as a kid, which was. You know, where all of a sudden you realize there are voices coming through the wall and you find your way into a passageway or... And I'm not really into fantasy per se, but I just sort of miss that wonder aspect of books. Where there's uh, secret tunnels or the wailing in the night in the secret garden turns out to be a kid, which I actually thought was a disappointment, but... <laughs> you know, that, that, that sort of mystery, the... Well, what about Neil places. Gaiman's, the... Um, his brand new one about the something, the house at the end of the lane or something like that. That I had to put that down. I'm a fan of Neil Gaiman's, but that was too scary for me. Wow. Well, we've had a difference in that opinion for a yeah, long yes, time. Yes, we have. You right. also don't read Henning Mankell, but yeah. right, right, because he's so dark. Yes, but very this dark. Is, you should try it. I mean, okay. you know, the library has many copies of it. And have you read Neil Gaiman? Not really, no. I think you'd like Neil I, Gaiman. I started a couple of his books before, but I've never finished one. <laughs> you should, the one that I, my favorite Neil Gaiman is Neverwhere. Neverwhere. Neverwhere was his first, his, I believe his first novel that he originally wrote as a radio or a TV play for the BBC, I think, and then novelized it. I just thought, I loved that book. So that, and that is about discovering a secret. We don't want to give away anything. Okay. All right. And it's e and that's another one that's very easy to find. Neverwhere. What Neverwhere. was the first one's title? That the I think it's called the house at the end of the lane. Okay. Or the something at the end uh, of the lane. Isn't it the house? I think it's the house. Did he write that alone, or did he write that no, with no, someone? No, by himself. By himself. All right. Right now, I'm doing the burning the days that you said a couple weeks ago about uh, the memoir about the pilot in World War II. Which by I did not like at first, but now I'm now I'm totally into it. Oh, good. The stuff about his childhood, I yeah, yeah. skipping ahead. <laughs> yeah, too much about your family. Yeah. Uh, Betsy, what do you what do you want to be reading? What what are you looking forward to in 2015? Well, I am looking forward to um, global and, and local authors. I'm also looking for humor. And um, also different voices. Uh, I want to look at young adult books. I don't. I want to open myself to a different experiences. I guess reading. I like the wonder. I love that. Um, the magic has. You know. I want that. 
And uh, let's see, there was something else that I thought was um, poetic. Landscapes, nature. And There's a good challenge for you. You got any ideas? Well, the per I mean, not humor. Uh, humor, I have separate suggestions, several suggestions okay. for you. But for the poetic, you know, I think Diane Ackerman and Steve, she's like natural history. Diane, Diane Ackerman would be somebody. She is a poet as well as a, um, I think, a, 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 a nonfiction writer. But for, but for humor, um, the dog. And you have a dog, don't you? Or you did have a dog? I, oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's a book called "The Dog Who Wouldn't Be." Oh, okay. by Farley Mowat, which is just hysterical. Growing up on the plains of Saskatchewan in the 1930s, oh. so there's that. And then there's a book called there's there's three books by a guy named Bob Tart, T-A-R-T-E, and the first two, whose names I am forgetting, are just so I thought they were very 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 funny. Um, okay. And he lives with a house of animals. Um, a rabbit, many birds, um, his wife, uh, yeah, and ducks outside. And I, I, so those two, but Farley Mowat's book. And then if you haven't read um, Cheaper by the Dozen for oh, right, several right. years, that is still very, very funny. Yeah. One, of, one of the books that has the all-time wonderful title is called The 100-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared. And it's by Jonas, G-O-N-A-S, J-O-N-A-S, Jonasson or something. It's just translated from the Swedish, and it's a very humorous book. I say no more, but enjoy, enjoy. <laughs> that sounds fun. I have one more thing to say. I um, want to bring up a book that uh, is about cooking, and it's great. It's um, Falling Water Cookbook by... Help me, Rob. Now I can't read. It's by Suzanne. It's by Suzanne Martinson, who was a food editor for the Pittsburgh newspaper. And it's the Falling Water Cookbook. And it's a book about the history of falling water with recipes from the cook who worked with this family. Maybe Nancy, I can't remember the name of the family in Pittsburgh. So, so the falling water is Frank Lloyd Wright's house in, uh, in, in Pennsylvania. Their name was Kaufman. Kaufman was their name. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, know that. And her story is fascinating. She was an African American woman working with this wealthy family, and there's a lot about her relationship with the family, as well as all these recipes. Some are a little, uh, uh, some may be a, a little bit uh, too fatty for nowadays, but, <laughs> but there's a, it's a great coffee table book. Oh, that's great. All right, before I ask you what kind of books, a word from our sponsor this season. Uh, you read the question on that red one right there where my, finger, my little finger is. How do elves greet each other? Small world, isn't it? We're, we're getting this from Snark, the Herald Angels Sing, Sarcasms, Bitterness, and the Holiday Season by Lawrence Dorfman. You've talked about this before. It's important that we have a holiday message in between our conversations. So what kind of book are you looking forward to for 2015, Robin? Well, I have some history books, but I was thinking about books I've enjoyed, and I 
really like uh, the quality of magic realism and uh, some authors I've really liked are people like Gunter Gross and uh, Garcia Marquez and uh, I was thinking of The Flounder, which had, uh, Gunter Gross wrote, and that's a story about a, a, a family with, uh, it, it grows out of that uh, fairy tale of The Flounder, and he includes a lot of recipes in that book, but at any rate, I was looking for books, as Betsy mentioned, with wonder, kind of this magical realism sense, and um, I remember one I really liked was called El Señor Presidente by Asturias. And some books like, you know, those are the kind of novels that grab me just because the writing seems to be so different and the ideas sort of uh, fly. And, uh, I, I like that idea of, of these it, going international with some of these. That, that, that's really piqued my interest. Any books pop out from that? I mean, he almost named them all. Right, right, right. But well, what about um, another uh, Latin, another uh, Hispanic writer, Julio Cortazar? I don't know if you ever read Hopscotch, but that's probably his best known book. And it's a book that he deliberately, he says, you can read it from start to finish in a regular order, or he gives an alternative reading. So you read chapter like, you know, 18, and then you go to chapter two. And I, I just think that's so fascinating. Now, do those give you ideas? Yeah, those are, those are some great ideas. And uh, Coetzee, the guy from uh, South Africa, I like a lot. And I, I know he seems to be cranking out a book a year, so I look forward to what he's doing. I want to ask about what your trends you're seeing, but you have two that, you're, that are coming out. These are not out yet? Yeah, yeah. What is that? One is by Richard Rhodes, who uh, won the Pulitzer Prize for uh, the making of the atomic bomb, and he has a new book about the Spanish-American, Spanish-American, I keep saying, the Spanish Civil War, oh. <laughs> and uh, it's called Hell in Good Company, the Spanish Civil War and the World It Made, uh, and it's, I think it's a great introduction to the war. He follows the chronology of the war, but there's a focus on the developments, how the, the war was a testing ground for World War II, and he gets a lot into the medical and scientific technology as well as the military technology, from blood transfusions to carpet bombing and the use of incendiary bombs. You know, I don't know if it's us and our interests, or is there a trend? We are seeing, at this table anyways, a lot of books about the military, military history and military, and of course right up to Iraq. So. Are you seeing a trend there when you're looking at the catalogs? Are there more coming out? I don't, I don't know. Um, that would be that would be hard, very hard to sort of pinpoint. I think. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if people are more interested in history now than they ever were before. Which would, and then remember that the publishing, these books that are coming out were written two years ago, two or three years ago in some cases. That's what makes me ask because two or three years ago we were enmeshed in war and we were, our country was, looked like we were just going to be at war for a long time and so I wonder if that, I don't know, attracted their attention. Yeah, I think, I'm thinking of what books are coming out in 2015 that I know about and um, I, I think there are still going to be published many war novels or short stories. Phil Clay, Redeployment won the National Book Award. 
um, which is a collection of short stories about um, Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. Have you read that book? I read part of it, but not. It's beautiful. It's painful. Um, but all of that is. I saw an interview with him on on Colbert. I think it was Colbert's second to last interview, and he wanted to do it because that was Iraq was important to him. But and Afghanistan, those wars. But I got the impression that Clay was. He was enjoying the fame and the success, but the pain of these stories, you could see it as he spoke about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that we don't give enough, we don't pay enough attention to just the way being in war, whether you're a part of the National Guard, I mean, just any deployment, how that affects you. I mean, we certainly didn't pay attention to that when the when the guys in the, during the Vietnam era, when they came home, and and just you know, I think it just changes you, no matter what happens. Yeah, Robin, I mean, this is this was a tough war to read about. I mean, to be a part of was this a tough war to read about? And Rose is such a good researcher. Yeah, he really puts a human face on war. There's a lot of stories about doctors and nurses who served during the war and the human cost of war, as well as the you know, stories about artists, Picasso and Miro, and how they were affected by the Spanish Civil War. And, um, and of course, Hemingway and Martha Gellhorn and some of the other writers, Orwell. And it's, I, I think I made it sound kind of clinical, but it's a, it really, uh, I think it's gripping in a lot of ways because he focuses on how these developments during the Spanish Civil War affected real people and, and the cost of the war, the civilian cost is incredible and that's what I think is important. In some of the books we've talked about before on Iraq and Afghanistan, is a, a lot of these also deal with you know, the, the civilians who are caught in the middle of these wars, which is uh, such a terrible toll, even compared to our military yeah. toll, which is horrible too. Yeah, we're not gonna, we haven't seen the last of those. I was thinking of Shadid, the Washington Post writer who died, and that was right in the middle of the war, and we interviewed him on, on KOW. He, I mean, we're gonna see a lot more of that, aren't we? Well, any trends that you're spotting overall for 2015? No, I think it's just going to be a big, I mean, have some books put away for us to talk about, um, you know, on January 6th when we, uh, but right after the, you know, the first of the year. Um, and I've been just collecting some 2015 books that I've enjoyed. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's very hard to see. I have not discerned any trends. But, but I have to say there is a novel written by a Tacoma um, I think newspaper writer Dave Bowling, B-O-L-I-N-G, called Guernica, which is about the Spanish Civil War. And um, my father, my father uh, well, fought in the Spanish Civil War, and that experience definitely changed his life. What? Your father did? What's his story? Just give us a quick... Well, you know, he, he, I mean, it's very hard to give a quick summary, but he, but um, he believed very strongly in, um, in the underdog, and, um, and he believed in, uh, you know, was, a, was somebody who believed in, um, uh, you know, doing what's right. That was very important to him, and so he volunteered. Um, to go to Spain, he he walked over the Pyrenees. You know, this is when it was illegal to uh, to enter, so he walked over the Pyrenees and um, and and was in Spain, 
um, until everybody, the Americans, were all brought home, uh, you know, by our government. Who, so he was one of those, as they were called, premature anti-fascists, and that, and that, that was the direction that started. You know, that was the, the biggest event in his life. That's what he cared about. You know, he wanted on his tombstone. He fought in Spain. Oh my you know, that kind of thing. It was very, it was a major event of, of, of everybody in his family, you know, my sister and myself and my mother, you know, that defined him and, and to a great extent what happened in the 60, 50s and 60s to our family. Well, actually, that Spanish Civil War did have a romantic attraction. I mean, not only it was, it's been immortalized by a number of writers and photographers, as you point out, but uh, to meet somebody who actually was involved in it, that's fascinating. <laughs> you know, there were students, um, students and professors from the University of Washington who, who volunteered and went to fight in Spain. And, yeah. Um, you know, I keep hoping that a local writer like Eric Larson or David James Brown um, or, or David Laskin, I'm hoping, I wish that one of them would do a book about the Spanish Civil War with a Seattle, a Washington focus. Because, you know, there, there was a ceremony to commemorate them that used to be by the old husky building uh, before they made the new one. I'm not sure where it is now, but that brought out, it was enough years ago that many of the people who fought in Spain, who lived in Seattle, came to that. Um, Robin, that seems like that's right. Maybe you ought to get on that. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to, to look into. And uh, I really appreciate Nancy's father's story, and it really comes out in this book, too. I don't know about how your dad felt before going over to Spain, but so many of these people are young idealists who have no conception about the military or about what the reality of war is, and it's uh, really quite an awakening when they're in battle. And the, the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, the casualties were tremendous. The rate of death in those wounded in action is just uh, incredible. They're losing about 80% either through wounds or uh, or death in these battles. Mm -hmm. And, and um, actually there's a, a, a huge archive of Spanish Civil War doc, books and documents. Um, where it, we sent many of my father's books that he had collected to that at Brandeis University that you can, one can go and if one were doing research. When is the story of your father's life being written, Nancy Pearl? No, I don't think I could ever do it justice. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Um, Too close to, uh, yeah. close to home to get perspective, right. huh? Somebody else needs to do it. And I will say we have all his um, FBI Freedom of Information records as well. Yeah. Much, much much redacted redaction, but we have those as well. I give my father to anyone who wants to write a book uh, about. Are there, that's very cool. Are there, <laughs> you raised your I hand. I might use that. Um, no, what I was thinking, I, I'm going back to trends or thoughts I had about where do graphic novels fit in all of this? And I, Robin has brought several home, and I just found myself 
looking at them and they seem sort of strange to me, but um, I you, really... You mean in the trend of history and war or just no, in the trend just of the graphic trend novels? No, just the trend of what's happening right now is that gra more graphic novels seem to be appearing. Yeah, well that's uh, for sure. Have you, and have you seen any about the war? About, have you seen any about the Afghanistan or Iraq Oh, war? no, I was leading the war, but yeah. no. Yeah. Well, the, the photographer, remember that oversized book about Doctors Without Borders um, in Afghanistan early in the war. But there's, I mean, there's a new graphic novel coming out about Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace. Um, early, the, the, the developers of the of the thinking machine, if you will. Um, so that's coming out early in 2015, and that's a graphic novel. But Betsy, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, they're doing graphic novels about every subject under the sun. Yeah. And the confluence of, is interesting. I mean, I'm making a joke, but that Paul McCartney does a song for the, re, uh, the reveal of a brand new video game is just showing that the that better, more higher, higher level, maybe even better writers, as they turn to the graphic novel, they can turn to the video game, and then they end up in movies. We're going to see this cycle yeah. of fertility going on with all these different, different uh, outages, out, outlets. One thing I was that I find interesting about graphic novels, at least for me personally, is that when I think that I don't have time to re really read a book, I'll still do graphic novels because they somehow seem like they'd be easier and. Then you get into reading, like, From Hell, which is about uh, Jack the Ripper, and that book is so long. It's, like, deceivingly long, and you just start it, and you're like, it's a graphic novel. How long could it possibly take? Katie, you're so little and, and you know, dainty and petite, and here you are reading about Jack the Ripper and all well, of these the younger me. Books. Now oh, I only oh, read uh, Louisa May Elcott. Okay, right. <laughs> I needed something more peaceful in my life. Other, other books or graphic novels or interesting things? I know we'll talk more about it next week, but overall, anything that you want to bring up? Well, if it, in the unlikely event that someone out there has not read Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi, that is a graphic novel that should not be missed. Uh, very early in the, in the history of graphic, relatively early at least in the history of graphic novels, and I interviewed her. and. You know, she, her story is just pretty remarkable. What about Mouse, too? Oh, yeah, Mouse absolutely. is a good starter. Mouse, absolutely, yeah. M-A-U-S. M-A-U-S. And I got, uh, I remember the last time he came through, he had In the, <laughs> in the Shadow of No Towers, yeah. yes. which was his big book about 9-11. Yeah. That was a pretty interesting yeah. graphic novel. Yeah. He's yeah. He he's he's just he's just you know pretty. I, I interviewed him at the library when he was here for the like the collected mouse or one of his books, and um, it was a great discussion. I mean, it was the first night of Passover, and here were these two Jews not at a Passover dinner, but talking at the library. Did he smoke the whole time? No, he didn't. But he was very nervous. Did he smoke at KUFW? Well, we wouldn't let him, but he had the patch on for the hour. He was very nervous. He was very uh, agitated. That's why we were able to get him to draw, because he needed something to do. So while I interviewed him, he drew. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, wasn't it? So what's Gateway to Freedom? Uh, Gateway to Freedom is... All, is this also a book that's coming out? In yeah, the... this will be coming out in a couple months. It's by Eric Foner, F-O-N-E-R, who's a prominent historian of the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln. 
Gateway to Freedom is subtitled The His Hidden History of the Underground Railroad, and he's, um, it's fascinating. He deals with the period from 1830 to 1860, and he's found some new archives and archival material, particularly from a, uh, an editor uh, in New York who kept uh, uh, just very detailed records on what was going on with the Underground Railroad, the number of African Americans who were coming from the South uh, on the Underground Railroad uh, and were liberated, and, and they usually went further north into Canada or New England from New York, but it was the, New York was kind of a way station in this. Uh, so there's a, a more detailed history than we've known before about some aspects of the Underground Railroad. And I, I haven't uh, just started it, so I, I look forward to reading it. Looks great. Um, last words. I know you're going to talk about more specific books when we reconvene on the 6th. We'll take next week off for some best of, but do you have any, any last 2014? Say goodbye to 2014 in the world of books in any form? Well, just selfishly, I hope 2015 is a better reading year for me. <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> yes, take us out with our sponsor, please. Yes, I have a closing quote that uh, kind of ties in with the first one. This is, uh, applies to the aftermath of the holiday season uh, from Stephen Fry, the British comedian. Much like sex, the event ends with a sad, flatulent realization that these things are better imagined than enacted, better anticipated than performed. I, <laughs> I like the holidays a lot more than that, but very good. <laughs> Oh, very good. Okay. Any, any, all right. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to everyone. We'll see you on the 6th at the Bryant Corner Cafe. And thanks to Chris for giving us that plate of cookies and Sarah for accommodating us. It got a little quieter. It slowed down a little bit as the midday came along. It was a quiet moment. Yeah. Are we all there now?